Good morning. Um, today's scripture reading comes from Ruth 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kylon and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witness this day. Then all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Amen. Well, thank you, Sarah, for the reading of God's Word. Won't you bow with me as we pray together? Lord, open our ears that we may hear your voice this morning. Open our eyes that we may see you in the pages of your Word. 
Open our minds that we may understand what you have us to learn this morning. Help us to be more like Christ when we leave than we were when we came. We pray in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's a great privilege to be with you this morning as uh, Matt and a number of our other dads are up in Michigan. We had a father-son camp, uh, enjoying the time there and hopefully um, having some good teaching this morning as well. So we turn our attention to the book of Ruth, which begins with the words, in the days when the judges ruled. That, of course, follows on the heels of the final words of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The book concludes then, as we just heard, with a catalog of 10 generations of the royal lineage of David, in which Boaz, in the story, takes his place seventh in the line. In those bookends to the story, and in what happens between the bookends, we can see, as it were, the curtain being pulled back at this moment in history in order to reveal for us the providential hand of God at work through the ordinary circumstances of this humble family in Bethlehem, which, of course, foreshadows another humble family in Bethlehem years down the road. The glimpses of the Lord's providence that we have here in the book of Ruth stretch far beyond the wisdom and the vision of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, the main people in the story. Indeed, the impact of the events of the ch chapter uh, four of Ruth stretch far beyond even the human author of that book and his vision. He pictured, or she, for us, the author of Ruth places the events of the book uh, in perspective, showing us how the Lord was at work to raise up a king, King David, uh, to call Israel back to him after the chaotic and godless days of the judges. But the prophet Micah, speaking long after King David, and announces that the little town of Bethlehem will produce a king whose greatness will far exceed that of David. When he says in chapter 5, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and he shall be their peace. Well, the Gospels make it plain that the ruler and shepherd that Micah prophesied coming from Bethlehem was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ that the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and the lineage at the end of, end of the book find their ultimate fulfillment. So we've really started at the very end this morning in order to put into perspective the events of the book of Ruth as this little book does its part in helping, us, in helping us to understand the whole story of all of Scripture, the story of God pursuing men and women in order to redeem them from their sins 
and bring them back into a relationship of right standing with him. So then let's look a little more closely at the fourth and final chapter of Ruth to see how it takes us from this family in Bethlehem during the chaos of the days of the judges to the restored order and peace of God's kingdom brought about through the provision of a redeemer for all of mankind. That theme of a redeemer figures prominently in chapter four. For in these 22 verses, the word, some form of the word redeemer is used 13 different times, variously as redeemer, redeem, redemption, it's clearly at the forefront of the author's thinking. Why not? It seems like there are redeemers at every turn in Ruth chapter four. First, there's the unnamed man. Well, back in chapter three, Boaz had told Ruth, I will do for you all that you ask. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. In chapter four, that man is simply called the redeemer. And here at the beginning of chapter 4, in the early hours of the morning, Boaz awaits the man's arrival. The Redeemer comes along in due time. Maybe it's just chance that he comes along at that point in the morning, but it's hard to imagine that Boaz is a man who leaves much to chance, particularly when he's expressly set out to find this guy. He waits at the city gate. In those days, uh, at the city gates, there was usually a wider opening or plaza made of dirt or paved stones, often with benches built around the perimeter where people could gather to talk or conduct business. Well, Boaz wastes no time. As soon as he sees the man, he says, turn aside, friend, sit down here. He's been waiting for him. Then he gathers 10 of the elders of the city and has them sit down as well. Now this had to take some little time, I would imagine, though perhaps he had them at the ready, maybe on hand. It's entirely possible that Boaz was among the elders of the city of Bethlehem. He is described as a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, and as some translations actually put it, a mighty man of wealth. Maybe he often gathered with the elders down at the local bakery, eating bagels and locks for breakfast and discussing the weather or the latest price of barley or wheat. At any rate, before too long, the elders are seated as well as the Redeemer and Boaz stands before them. Clearly, something important is about to go down. A crowd has begun to gather, as we see from verse 11, all the people who were at the gate and the elders. Boaz, again a man of action, gets right to the point. You see in verse three, then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. 
So he says, you're the first guy in line. And if you're not going to do it, you've got to let me know because I'm next. This is really the first that we hear of Naomi wanting to sell her property. It's pretty clear that Boaz has spoken with her about it previously. It's possible since Ruth has to glean in someone else's field, she's been gleaning in Boaz's field, it's possible that Elimelech had actually mortgaged their property to another townsman when they had left during the famine to go to Moab over 10 years earlier. And now she's looking to pay the remaining equity in order to have the money and be free and clear of the property. Or perhaps since they arrived during the barley harvest, as we're told earlier in Ruth, they had missed the opportunity to plant crops and she's now selling the land in order just to survive. Whatever the case, the Redeemer responds simply and quickly, I will redeem it. So Boaz is off the hook. Naomi has a Redeemer who will purchase her property, good for her. And according to the tradition and expectation of the day, the purchaser of the property would also be responsible for caring for Naomi for the rest of her life. Well, I picture the, the Redeemer, don't you, uh, beginning to receive congratulatory handshakes around the, from the crowd and pats on the back when Boaz suddenly speaks up and his voice cuts through the commotion. Verse five, then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in the inheritance. Well, you can hear the silence settle over the crowd as this new information sinks in. All eyes turn back toward the Redeemer. What will he do now? Well, it doesn't take him long to break the silence. Oh, oh, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance, he says. Take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it. Clearly, this is the result that Boaz desired. Though there's no doubt he acted shrewdly, showed a certain calculated sense of timing and business acumen, Boaz is conducting everything honestly and forthrightly in front of the elders of the town and his own townspeople. Now the man's on the hook. What was it that changed the mind of the Redeemer and led to his refusal once Ruth was named as part of the deal. We're not told in the passage other than the Redeemer saying, lest I impair my own inheritance. Perhaps the fact that Ruth is a foreigner, a Moabite no less, which people were forbidden to enter the assembly of Israel, and without dowry, or prospects. Maybe these facts made the Redeemer turn his nose at the prospect of marrying her. More than likely, there's also a financial aspect to his refusal. In purchasing Naomi's property on its own, he would have incurred the cost of buying the property, and he would have been expected to bear the cost of caring for Naomi, but he also would have enlarged his estate and the potential inheritance for him and any offspring that he might have. 
But in having to marry Ruth in order to perpetuate the family line, he would have the cost of the property, the cost of caring for Naomi, the added cost of caring for Ruth. Plus, if he and Ruth had a son, which was clearly the expectation, the property would become the possession of Ruth's son. So the Redeemer would have incurred all of the additional costs without the added benefit of the property, which would no longer be his. There are, without a doubt, very real financial considerations involved. But the nearer Redeemer seems to be more concerned with preserving his own inheritance and estate than he does with the welfare of Naomi and Ruth or perpetuating the inheritance of his kinsman Elimelech. Maybe that's why the author of Ruth chose to allow this potential redeemer to remain nameless and anonymous in the pages of Scripture. It was George Sweeting, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, who used to say, seldom resist a generous impulse. Seldom resist a generous impulse. I would add, especially when your generosity has the potential to benefit and preserve the Lord's people, particularly the least and lowest and left out of God's people. How thankful I am that God's Son didn't consider it too costly to redeem me and didn't consider me a foreigner or too poor or unworthy to be redeemed by him. Hallelujah. Well, once the nearer redeemer has given up his right of redemption, the next redeemer in Ruth 4 comes into view. Boaz is once again quick to act. At verse 7, now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon, also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Don't be alarmed by the fact that he has bought Ruth. It's more the words of transaction um, that he's talking about. She's part of the deal. Evidently, Naomi had made her part of the deal in order to sell the property. So sometime late in the morning or maybe early in the afternoon by now, after he had promised Ruth earlier in the darkness on the threshing floor, I will do for you all that you ask. The other shoe finally drops or the sandal is handed over. And Boaz agrees to purchase Naomi's property and to care for her for the rest of her life. And he agrees to marry Ruth in order to perpetuate the line of Elimelech and of Malon, her dead husband, if God should give them a son. For Ruth, this must have been almost unimaginable. That day on the road in Moab, when Naomi had said to her and her sister-in-law, Orpah, turn back, my daughters. 
Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Even if I have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? Ruth had left behind everything in order to cling to Naomi and in order to identify with her God. Along the way, she was a grieving widow. She'd not only lost her husband, but her brother-in-law and her father-in-law as well. She'd left behind her mother, her father, and their religion, and the place she called home, to become a foreigner with few or no rights in a foreign land. She had to work basically as a beggar for food for her and her mother-in-law. And she had no real prospects of ever changing or improving her situation. But here in chapter 4, God has graciously and lovingly brought her a redeemer who's God's instrument in answering the prayer that he, Boaz himself, had spoken to Ruth when they first met in his field. He had said, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth had come to know firsthand the truth of the words that Jesus would later speak in, in Matthew 19, 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Loved ones, let, let's not get our storylines mixed up. As Americans, we're, we're prone to see the sort of Hollywood ending of Ruth. Girl leaves home, boy rescues girl, girl gets boy, they live happily ever after. As the proof that Matthew 19.29 is true, that would really be a gross misunderstanding and misapplication of the truths of that passage as well as most of Scripture. What Ruth had come to understand before she had ever met Boaz was that the God whom she had turned to when she left Moab, that God was enough. Proximity to him, being in his care and under his wings, is itself the great reward, the greatest prize and inheritance that anyone could ever know. That doesn't mean she just threw up her hands and resigns herself to whatever comes. No, she works hard, doing all that she can to provide for her and Naomi. They still need to eat. And she still has a desire to raise children of her own. So she follows Naomi's plan, and she pleads her case to Boaz on the threshing floor in the middle of the night. All the while, trusting herself to the God whom she had chosen to follow when she left all behind in Moab, because she is under his caring and protective wings. May God help us to follow the trusting example of Ruth. In passing, let me make one more point very briefly before we move on. Boaz had said of Ruth, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. 
Men, if you're married this morning, let's be sure to take a moment to acknowledge the truth of Proverbs 19.14, which was so evident to Boaz. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, I know we're not an amen saying church, but men, that probably deserves an amen. There is yet another redeemer in this final chapter of Ruth. He appears in verses 13 and 14. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Well, up to this point in the book, Boaz has been pictured as the redeemer of Naomi and Ruth. When Naomi learned that it was his field in which Ruth had been gleaning, she said, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Ruth had said to him, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. But after the birth of Naomi's grandson, it's he who they call her redeemer. They call this tiny baby the restorer of life and nourisher of her old age for without this baby there would still be no one as Boaz said in verse 10 to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance no one that would perpetuate the name of the dead so that he may not be cut off from among his brothers that covenantal language of securing an inheritance among God's people is very clear in Boaz's speech to the elders and his townspeople. It's clear, too, when the elders and the townspeople speak the blessing on the couple, invoking the names of Rachel and Leah, who built up the kingdom, the house of Israel, Tamar and Perez. Boaz is himself in the family line of Perez. These are the people through whom the covenant that God had made with Abraham was continued. Well, back at the end of chapter 1, verse 19 tells us, the whole town was stirred by the return of Naomi with her daughter-in-law Ruth. Is this Naomi? The women cry in near disbelief. But she had said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, call me Mara, bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. But here, after the birth of Naomi's grandson, the women are reminding her that God is not against Naomi, but for her. They say of her grandson, he shall be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age. A son has been born to Naomi. And the author's quick to add, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. As if to say, if you weren't amazed enough just by the fact that Naomi has had a grandson, think about this. He will be the grandfather of King David. 
Well, this third redeemer in Ruth chapter four reminds Naomi that she had not seen the whole picture when she counted herself bitter and empty because, because the Lord had brought calamity upon her. Like Naomi, we often equate difficulties and dark times with an absence of the Lord's blessings. But in Hebrews 12, the NIV says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters. Discipline in these verses doesn't mean punishment. Rather, it's to be seen as a means of training in righteousness that causes us to be more like Christ. A song you may know considers the truths of Hebrews 12 by asking a series of questions. What if your blessings come through raindrops? Or for Ruth, lack of raindrops. What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know that you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise. If closeness to God is the best good, as the Westminster Catechism puts it, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, then by whatever means that closeness comes, our close communion with Christ must be considered the greatest blessing. It far exceeds any amount of difficulty or pain that the Lord allowed us to endure in order to know him better and to walk more closely with him. Loved ones, I don't make these claims glibly or superficially. I know that many of you have experienced deep hurt and pain, soul-wrenching and heart-breaking sorrow and difficulty that defy human explanation or reasoning. But if it's true that God is good, and he is, if it's true that God is sovereign, and he is, that God is all-knowing, all-seeing, and all-wise, he is. And that knowing God Glorifying him and enjoying him are what we were created to do, and they are. Then anything that draws us to him and helps us to know him and depend upon him more fully must be considered a great blessing, worth any pain or difficulty that we might have had to pass through in order to enjoy them. Back in Ruth, in a sort of tacit head nod, to this truth, you might notice that here with her grandson on her knees, Naomi is no longer insisting on being called Mara. Her bitterness has been swallowed up by her joy in the goodness of God. Well, all of these redeemers bring us to our final point in Ruth 4. They point us forward to another great redeemer. David's greater son and distant relative of the baby on Naomi's knees, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned at the outset that the book of Ruth is doing its small part in helping to tell the story of the whole Bible. 
For since Adam and Eve in the garden, everyone, including Naomi and Ruth and Boaz here in the book of Ruth, including you and me today, is in need of more than a human king to set things right, to bring peace out of the chaos of our lives. Only a perfect redeemer could do such a thing. In the character and actions of Boaz, Ruth and Naomi's imperfect yet willing and efficacious kinsman redeemer, we see foreshadowed the character and actions of our great redeemer, Jesus Christ. One commentator put it like this. Our Lord Jesus looked like Boaz with compassion on the deplorable state of fallen mankind. At vast expense, his own life. He redeemed the heavenly inheritance for us, which by sin was forfeited, and which we could never have been able to redeem. He likewise purchased strangers and foreigners, like Ruth, poor and despised, that the name of that dead and buried race might not be cut off forever. He risked the marring of his own inheritance to do this, for though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. But he was abundantly recompensed for it by his Father, who hath highly exalted him. There is one significant difference that we might notice between the story of Boaz as Ruth's redeemer and Jesus Christ as the redeemer of men and women. Ruth was a willing participant in her redemption. Boaz was paying the price of redemption for someone who loved him and longed to be redeemed by him. Jesus, on the other hand, paid the blood price of his own life for men and women who don't love him naturally. And the Bible tells us are actually his enemies. Friends, Jesus has agreed to pay the price of redemption for you. A price so great you can never repay it for yourself. What's more, the price has already been paid at the cost of his life by his death on the cross. Won't you follow Ruth's example? Forsaking your ties to everything from which you've sought meaning and fulfillment and peace, all the things that are not Jesus and so bound to fail? Friends, the story of the Bible is that there is a Redeemer. Jesus, God's own Son, the precious Lamb of God, Let's consider all that we owe him. Let's make sure of our standing with him today and study all of our days how we can best honor him with our lives.